1 John chapter 3. And this is near the end of the New Testament, so not St. John, not John's Gospel, uh, but 1 John chapter 3. Just by a quick show of hands, how many coffee drinkers do we have with us today? How many drink coffee? Some of you put that hand up way too excited to put it up. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that enjoy coffee. I'm a dabbler in coffee. I'm not a, a, a religious coffee drinker or anything like that. But uh, I had a coworker who was a, a big time coffee drinker and so much so that he had studied a lot about coffee. And he could tell you the best regions in which coffee would grow and, and down to what altitude was best to, to grow the best coffee beans and all of these different sorts of things. And I enjoyed learning about it and, and hearing about it from him. And uh, I was thinking about that coffee and, and you know, people just have these these big kind of, this is the coffee that I drink. I'm a, I only drink this Starbucks flavor, or this Folgers flavor, or this Maxwell House flavor, or whatever else other coffee drinks you all drink. But the, the point being is that people become very, very passionate about coffee. I find that interesting, and we could probably do some uh, social or, or, or personality works about that. Uh, but what's interesting to me about that is ultimately what it comes down to is people become passionate about what drink they feel is best when ultimately what they are doing is they're ruining water. You're taking something and you're putting it into a, a perfectly good cup or glass of water that's making that water something else. And Francie is strongly disagreeing with me. <laughs> but it's funny to me how we think about water and, and we think about how we use it. And if you go to the store and you go down the water aisle, and I think it's a little bit funny that we have a water aisle at the grocery store, but you go to this water aisle and you see all these different brands of, of different bottles of water. And you can start reading about all these different brands of bottles of water and you start identifying things about them. They'll all try to tell you why they're the best. Why you should drink Dasani instead of Aquafina or Aquafina instead of the, the Nestle cheap stuff that I like to drink or, or, or the off brand, the, 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 the Costco brand, the Meyer brand, whatever brand it is that the, you see on that private label. We see all of these different competitiveness about which water you might buy at the store. I will let you know that you can turn on your tap at home and get water just the same, but if you so desire, you can get water there at the store. But if you read about it, it will tell you about the, the efforts that have gone into purifying that water. Reverse osmosis, double filtration, triple filtration, quadruple filtration, and on and on about the efforts that have gone into trying to make this water as pure as possible. And then you all go and corrupt that with your call. <laughs> but the point being is that we here in life, we know that purity is something to be desired after. We see it advertised all over the place. I've used water already as an example, but you'll hear about pure orange juice. You'll hear about the purity or, or how this is organic, how it's, it's just the most basic. There's nothing in it that has made it something that it's not. It's not had any impurities come into it. 99.9% silver and so on and so forth. Talking about the purity of things. Read here with me the first three verses of 1 John 
chapter 3. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as He is pure. I would like to speak to you today on the subject of purity. I would hope that you would see the beauty in purity by seeing that God is pure. Oftentimes you've heard me and I will get up and I will preach a sermon about the awfulness of sin. And it's true that sin is awful and our need to avoid sin, that we would be pure before the Lord. And certainly we know that there are all sorts of Scriptures that call to us our need to be pure. We heard Paul, he exhorted Timothy to keep himself what? To keep himself pure. We hear in other places where we read that we are to purify ourselves, to purify our hearts. Here we are even told that we would find ourselves that if we have this hope in us, that we are the children of God, That if we have this hope in us, that we would see Jesus in His coming, that we might not know what we will be like when we get to heaven, but when we see Him, we will be like Him. If you have that hope in you, you are called to purify yourself. But the reason why we are called to purify ourselves is because God is pure. You see that? Our need to find ourselves to avoid sin isn't because we're just holding to some religious rules or some law. But our need to find ourselves pure is because God is pure. And so I want to talk to you today about the beauty of purity as we behold it in God Himself. So what does it mean to be pure? If you just go out and you try to find some dictionary definitions, you'll find that it means to be separate from all extraneous matter. You ever heard anybody tell you that you're just so extra? If anybody ever tells you you're just so extra, it means you've got some purity checks you need to do in your life. You're just a lot of something, and maybe you shouldn't be a lot of that. I think Sister Brylin one time told me that I was being extra. and it took me a while to figure out what she meant, but I was able to figure it out. But, but the point being is that when anything that is not that has been, had stuff added to it, that is extraneous to it, is not pure. It is to be separate from all extraneous matter, clear, free from mixture as pure water or pure clay or pure sand or pure air or pure silver or gold. Speaking about it from a spiritual standpoint or a moral standpoint, free from moral defilement, without spot, not sullied or tarnished, incorrupt, holy. Certainly, We see the value in these things. And we see the importance of trying to pursue after purity. But what we know about our own lives is that by our nature, our lives are not naturally pure. 
We struggle with this tendency towards sin. We know this battle that we have in the flesh and about how we find ourselves continuously caught up in this battle of a heart that desires after purity, yet a flesh that just seems unable to pursue after it. What did Scripture tell us about purity If you read there in the the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew and you study there, it opens up there in the Sermon on the Mount and there are nine statements about the character of the Christian. Nine statements about the character of the believer. And they all begin with, Blessed are. Happy are. And we read there that blessed or happy are the pure in heart. Why? for they shall see God. The Christian is to be characterized by being pure in heart. So while we know that this body, this flesh, this flesh that we're engaged in this constant battle with has this tendency towards impurity, our hearts are to mind the pure things. When you find yourself in your heart specifically to be drawn to the things that are impure, You need to repent before God and draw closer to Him that He might help you and enable you to have that pure heart that desires Him, that is to typify the Christian life. The believer is to have a heart that is pure. We know that being pure then is something for us to desire after. What can we understand about God's purity? John told us that God is pure. We are to purify ourselves because God is pure. He is pure by His very nature. There is nothing about God that requires any external force to act on Him. Therefore, He is pure because He is completely existent of Himself. You see, I am impure because I do not exist of my own will. You see, I exist today because my parents desired for me to be born. I exist because they had me. And I inherited something with that. I have brown hair and brown eyes because of my DNA. I have my personality and my natures and the things that I enjoy shaped by my parents. And I inherited something else in that. I inherited this sin nature from my dad. Don't be mad at him. He got it from his dad. Don't be mad at my kids. They got it from me. Don't be bad at my mom or my wife either because they also got that same nature from their dads. You see, we have inherited this sin nature because we've had these external forces that have acted on us, but God has not. He is pure. And whatever you think about God does not change who He is. However you try to act on God does not change who He is. However you would try to to move against Him does not change what He's doing. God is fully God whether you want Him to be or not. God is not dependent upon you. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We're dependent upon Him. And so seeing then that God has had nothing extra added to Himself, He is fully pure by His very nature. There's nothing bad in Him. There's nothing in Him that we would look at and say, there lies some impurity. (laughs) I battle a little bit with this tendency towards trying to to find, if I'm going to buy something, I I want it to to, to be as, as perfect as possible. 
I will hold up. I've been known to take hats. I'll, I'll go to the store and I'll be trying to find me a, a new Boston Red Sox ball cap or something. And if you look at those, and you'll find that little emblem will just be a little bit off most of the time. And man, I'm weird. I'll, I'll go through trying to find that one that's just perfectly centered. Right? I don't want there to be any error in that hat. I'm sure glad nobody looks at my life like that. Because if you do, you're going to find that there's little errors and big errors all over the place. But if you look at God with that same critical nature, you're going to search Him and you're going to look through Him and you're going to try to understand things about Him. And what you're going to find is never, not one single time, is there even a small error in Him. He is perfect and He is right all the time. What a tremendous God we serve. There's no other God like this. Throughout history, there have been all these gods that have been believed upon by all these different groups of people and they've had to develop different gods for different reasons. A God of the Son, a God of this cause, or a God of this reason. But behold, our God oversees it all. He is good and He is perfect and He is complete and He is pure by His very nature. There is nothing in Him that is impure at all. Scripture tells us a little bit about His purity and it always references it towards how we understand Him. In Proverbs 30, verse 5, it says that every word of God is pure. Every word. Isn't that awesome? Everything that God has ever spoken is pure. wonder what Moses thought that night. You know about Moses? He was on the backside of a desert one night. And he encountered this bush next to the road. And it was on fire. There was nothing around that should have caused that bush to be on fire. So Moses investigated a little bit what caused this roadside bush to be on fire. And God started to speak to him out of that bush. Now, I don't know about you, but I know about me. And if I had encountered that, like Moses encountered, I would have said, there is something wrong. I'm hallucinating. I would have been rubbing my eyes. I would have been checking my ears. I would have been trying to figure out what is wrong that I am seeing this bush and a voice coming out of it. But the voice that he heard said to remove the shoes from your feet because the place where you are standing is holy ground. The voice speaking from the bush was pure. And it was holy. And it told Moses, the place where you stand upon is holy ground. God's Word is pure. book of Psalms, the 19th Psalm, verse 8, it tells us that the commandment of the Lord is pure. Later on in the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, verse 140 says that thy Word is very pure pure. Therefore, thy servant loves it. (laughs) The psalmist wrote and he said, I see that God's Word is pure and because it is pure, thy servant loves it. Why should we pursue after the Word of God? Why should we have a love in our heart for the Word but that it is pure, that, that it is unadulterated, that there is nothing in the Word of God that would have some blemish to it that we should not be attracted to it. The psalmist found that the Word of God is very 
pure. But not only is His Word pure, but the wisdom that He shares with us through His Word is pure. James tells us this in chapter 3, verse 17, that the wisdom from above, and he tells us a lot of things about the wisdom that is from above, but the first thing that James tells us about the wisdom that is from above is that it is first pure. First pure. I want you to think about all the decisions you've ever made in your life. Every single one of them. Alright. Not every single one of them. But think about the big decisions you've made in your life. And I want you to think about what all went into making that decision. You asked people about it. You talked to your best friends. Those people that you seek advice from. You wanted to know whether or not you were making the, the right or the best decision. You're buying a house. You're buying a car. You're deciding where to go to college. You're figuring out who you're going to marry. All of these different sorts of big major decisions we have in life. And we go to those people that we have the most confidence in and we ask them for advice. And you probably have done that. What you'll find is that you'll go to two people that you trust and respect more than anybody and they'll have differences and opinions about the same situation. They have biases in their life. They have reasons to to recommend the things that they do to you. But God's wisdom is pure. Why is it that any time that there is some big decision coming up in your life and you go up to some some gray-headed lady, some gray-headed man, and you're asking them for their wisdom about the situations, and almost to a fault, the very first thing they're going to ask you is what? Have you prayed about it? Have you sought the Lord's advice for it? Why do they say that? Because you've come to them for wisdom and they're going to try to help you the best they can, but they know that even the best wisdom that they can provide to you, the best advice that they can provide to you, pales in comparison to what God can lead and direct your heart in. The wisdom of God is first pure. So we know some things about God. We know some things about His purity. But the ultimate description of purity has been realized not just in who God is or how He has interacted with the, the people in the Old Testament or how, he's rea- how He interacts with us today. But we know especially that we see the purity of God in how it was made flesh. Job asked at one point in the book of Job, he asked, can a man be purer than his Maker? Can a man be purer than his Maker? The answer to that question is no. If we were to use that description in anything, we were to talk about uh, somebody was making a, a clay pot or they were working with pottery of some sort, if that person was working with hands that were just just dirtied up and soiled with all sorts of other things, they were trying to, to make this clay pot out of pure clay, they would defile it by the nature of their hands, wouldn't they? We, anything can only be as pure as our Maker is. So how pure is He? In the Old Testament, we already talked about Moses, God commanded through Moses that the Passover be instituted. And when He instituted the Passover, He instructed the children of Israel to take a lamb without blemish. This had to be the best of the flock in which there was nothing about it that was of of impurity, nothing about it that was of a spot or of a blemish, but it had to be pure that they would come and that they would offer it before the Lord. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that Christ has become our Passover. 
John the Baptist, when he was baptizing there in the wilderness and he saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. How can one take away the sins of the world if they are not pure? If they are not without spot or without blemish? We find throughout Scripture the purity of Jesus realized by His disciples. Peter told us that there was no guile found in His mouth. That there was nothing that Jesus had ever spoken, nothing that Jesus had ever held to as a belief, nothing that Jesus had ever been persuaded by had been impure. Even the thoughts that Jesus had were always pure. I want you to think about the thoughts that you've had this morning. How many of them have been impure? You might say, well, Derek, I, I've done pretty good this morning. I don't know if you know this or not. It's Father's Day. All I have done is love my husband and love my dad. I've not had one single impure thought enter into my heart. The reality is, for something to be right, not only must it be righteous and that it is good, but it must be thought for the right reason. Must be thought for the right purpose, for the right intent. Even when we get the, the thought right, so often the intent of our hearts are off. Meanwhile, we see Jesus without spots and blemish and holy and pure. Oh, what a God. That we would have a Savior that is as pure as this. You've heard me quote it often. The book of Acts tells us that Jesus went about doing good. The acts of Jesus' life were centered on purity. What did Pilate find in him? We see that the people brought Jesus to him, making accusations against him. Pilate brought him on trial, and Pilate looked at him and he searched through the things that had been brought against Jesus, and he said, and he declared, he went back out and he said, I find no fault in this man. There was no impurity that could be held against his account even when it was that he was tried and crucified. His trial and his sentence were a sham because this man was pure by his very nature. <laughs> Several, well actually just a couple of weeks ago, one of the young ladies of the church had came up to me unprompted as of her own desire. You'll remember several years ago we had some lessons here on the church about purity. And, and she had came up to me. She wasn't around at that point, And she came up to me and she said, Hey, I saw somebody wearing one of those rings that they got after those lessons and, and I'm interested in that. Can, can you teach those things to me? That's awesome. Why is that something to desire after? Why would somebody, when all of society is pressing against the things that are pure, why would somebody see that something to be desired? Man would not naturally desire purity unless he sees first that God is pure. We of our own would not desire things that are pure if we did not first realize that there is something to avoid and it's impurity. Why do we desire pure water? 
Because we know that if there are things that are impure in the water, they're going to harm us. They're going to make us sick. We don't want them. We live in Franklin, Indiana. It's not been so long ago when there was a lot of concern going on about the the nature of the water that's underneath the ground in this community because it had been polluted and corrupted by things that had been let go into the water. Why was that such a big deal? But that there were impurities that had entered into that water that can harm people. Man can only rightly see the impurities that can enter our lives when we see the purity that is God. Why would we be compelled to do away with that sinfulness that will be of a pleasure to to the flesh for a moment if not that we would compare it against the pure without spot, without blemish, undefiled by its very nature, by His very nature, and the beauty of God. We see beauty in purity. We see something to desire in purity. We see something to attract us in purity because we see that there is nothing that we can create that is absolutely pure. So at our very best then, we are made to exalt God. Why? Knowing that He is fully pure. I want you to think about how far along society has came. We live in 2021. There have been technical advances like you wouldn't believe over the last 200 years alone. Yet we still cannot make things 100% efficient. We can't make things work 100% the way that they should no matter how smart we get. Why is that? Because at our very best, we ourselves are impure. Any good thing that I have ever done, any good thing that I have ever thought is because God is good. Not because I am good. Anything that's pure in my life that you should desire to emulate, to, to, to model your life after, it's not because of me. It's because of God. Anything in your life that I would look at and say, you know what? It seems like they're on the right track there. It would have nothing to do with you. It would have everything to do with God. There is a tendency that we have in life in which we go about and we justify the things that we do in life that we have deserved. We say, well, I deserve this or I deserve that. I want you to know the only thing that I can reason in Scriptures that any of us have ever deserved is hell. So then every good thing that I've ever experienced in life, every good activity I've ever done, any good gift I've ever received, anything that I've ever known that is good is because God is good. If it wasn't for the goodness of God, all that our eyes would ever behold is the death and decaying nature of everything that's around us. Ever since Adam and Eve first transgressed, ever since Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, all of creation has been progressing towards death. Adam and Eve took an eat of that fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in doing so, when they took that bite, death began to reign. And it rains even now. R-E-I-G-N, not R-A-I-N. I know we've had a lot of rain this weekend. 
But death continues to reign even now. And if it wasn't for the goodness of God, even the things that our eyes behold, when we look at the beauty of nature, all we would see was death. What I'm trying to tell you today is that everything that is beautiful, everything that is good, everything that is pure, everything that is holy, is because God is pure. And God is holy. And God is good. And God is beautiful. I have a daughter. She's growing up. She's beginning to see her mom. And her mom goes and puts makeup on. And it's pretty funny. I Wednesday night, got off work and we went down to Revival down at Friendship. And my wife had went to the bathroom down at Friendship. And she came back out and she says, I forgot to put makeup on. <laughs> That's probably a good thing. Your mind was on other things besides makeup. That's, that's probably alright. The point is that my daughter's seen my wife do that and she sees the nature of society that tells her that she needs to put makeup on to be beautiful, to make herself more attractive. Young girls, you know that too, don't you? I remember watching my sister growing up and her and her friends going to get facials and makeup and she has pictures with her and her friends. They come over and sleep over and they have all that weird stuff pasted all over their face. The reality is that we see beauty according to what the world teaches us beauty is. My friends today, if you want to see beauty, look to what God is. If you want to see purity, look to who God is. If you want to see goodness, look to who God is. Now I want you to know women, I've got nothing against makeup. Listen, Never mind. <laughs> Moving on. It's Father's Day. I don't want to ruin Father's Day for all the husbands and dads. Well, the point that I want you to see today is that there is a beautiful nature in God. And His purity is something to be desired. John reasoned and he called and he instructed that we would find ourselves to be purified. That we would desire after purification in our lives. But He did not make that desire as an impassioned plea without any reason or without any end in mind. He made that plea knowing that we should desire purification because God is pure. Let me close with this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18-23 through says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, that you were not redeemed with impure things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You were redeemed by the precious, pure blood of Jesus who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for us, who by Him do believe in God, that raised Him up from the dead and gave Him glory, that your faith and your hope might be in God, seeing then that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto the unfeigned pure love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible or impure seed, but of incorruptible and pure, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. 
brothers and sisters, I have a deep desire that we would see Faith Church when we have talked about, and Brother Gilbert's testified of this, about how we desire to be a congregation when people come in, they feel the love here. And that's good. But our desire should be that that love has a purity to it. That it's unfeigned. That it's not a love that is, is being conveyed by how we welcome people, but a love that's being conveyed by how we love God and desire to encourage and edify and build up one another. That our love isn't feigned because we know that we're to love everybody, but our love is pure because we love God and God's love for us is pure. Aren't you glad that God's love is pure? No spots in it. No blemishes in it. He has loved us so completely that He gave His pure Son, that His pure blood, without spots and without blemish, might serve as our hope and redemption. So today, my brothers and my sisters, I pray that we would see the beauty of purity and that seeing that God is pure, that we would purify ourselves as well. Thank you for listening to me. I pray that God will bless you. I know that this wasn't a, a Father's Day sermon. There wasn't any rough and tumble in it or gruffness in it. That would be a Father's Day sermon. But I pray that we'd be encouraged in seeing the purity of God. You know, that might be something then that would encourage and uphold our hearts to love one another. Some on your hearts today.